Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I hope everyone is well. We're your hosts, Ben and Brian, and today we're talking about fishing in flooded conditions. Yes, we are. We've been out recently. Both got smiles on our faces because we love to go fishing. You know, actually, Ben, I think when if you would have been with Jesus when he parted the Red Sea and you'd been walking, you'd be in the guy in the back with a fishing pole. Yeah. Casting out. Well, I don't, I don't want to be last so that I could get a good, you know, cast in left and right and fish both sides. Yeah, you'd be a fish in the back of the boat with your Senko. Exactly. That's what that's what you like to do. A little cleanup action back there. But anyway, enough of the silliness. We have been out. We've had so much rain here lately that the lakes, the rivers, everything just jumped up seemingly overnight. And uh, it scares some people away. But because of past experiences from years past, we love it. We've well, it gets some... you excited as as it starts rising. You know, we get excited. You definitely get excited because of the style of fishing you love yeah. um, in that flooded timber. Well, it gives us opportunities for different tactics, which we can get into what some of those are later. But not only that, it pushes some people off the water. This particular lake that we're fishing, Table Rock Lake, has gotten so popular over the last decade or two that... If you go out on a Saturday, good luck finding a point to fish. I mean, honestly, it's hard to find a place to fish. There's, the wake is so high, you have to be off the water early just for safety reasons if you're in a small fishing boat. So when the water's up and it's hot, there's not as many people out there. Some people think the fishing is bad. I believe it's better, and I love to get out and do it. So I was excited to see it come up. Um, the downside of that, it does cause damage, and it costs people money. Um so it's like damage to what? Like what? what well, how campgrounds, mm-hmm. people's yards and docks. Um, some people's docks aren't outfitted enough to even be able to get to their stuff because there's a gap between the bank and, and their dock. Um, some people don't live there and, and they're not there to adjust their cables and it can pop and break their docks. I've seen docks out floating before during mm-hmm. floods. And mm-hmm. um, so there is a downside to it. But from a fishing standpoint, I think it's a positive. Me what too. about you? Yeah, me too. Because it brings those fish up to where I like to be, which is shallower water. Yeah. That's where I like to fish. It, it does. Um, you know, Table Rock Lake is, is a highlands reservoir. So uh, if they're not up shallow where you like to fish, they're out deep, um, sometimes as deep as 100 feet, because uh, these, these lakes are a couple hundred feet deep. So rain and flooding really affects these lakes because it's a river system and there's several lakes in a row that are all dammed up and and they're deep if all these you know generally they're in the same geographical region and sharing watersheds so if one's flooding so are the other three in particular the this chain has three so table rocks in the middle so it's getting filled up almost as much as it's dumping in beaver lake is dumping in and filling it up because these lakes do have a max level. I think it's at 931, some, somewhere around there, nine, uh, 931 feet above sea level is that max. Like it can't go higher than that. If it is, uh, you're going to have issues at the dam. That's where all the uh, buildings and things are built at that. So if it's getting up into that, now you're just damaging so much stuff. So they have to control it to keep it below that. So they are running and producing all kinds of power because they're moving water, current in the lake, which is great for fishing. But at the same time, it's being dumped into that so fast. Mm-hmm. Now, the real problem 
happens when you're bull shoals and you're down, you're the third lake in line and you're getting the water from the two lakes above you. Um, and I don't know what its level is now, but uh, in years past, it was 40 feet high. It's crazy. It, like, I mean, it sounds like you're making it up, but it's... No, yeah. that's not an exaggeration. No, Literally 40 feet high. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it did recover last year and it had some awesome fishing. So Table Rock is where we were at. It is 12 feet high right now. So things that are normally pretty far from the water's edge are underwater. There is so much cover, it's hard to even pick what to fish. So where did we even, how did we even get started when we went out? Yeah, so as a Highland Reservoir, you know, part of the definition is that you have steep bluffs. So it's it's deep water, steep bluffs. And that's actually one thing that we found. It took us a few hours, but we began to see that these fish were in the flooded timber, uh, the flooded bush, but that was on the steeper drops. Mm-hmm. If it was more of a shallower flat or, you know, uh, um, a less steep bank, um, they just weren't there. Right. Well, what what happens when you have, it's more gradual, it's a shallower area, that water goes up so far, you may have 50, 60, 70 yards of bushes and trees, and it's so thick, you really can't even get your boat back in there behind them where some of those fish may be. It was hot and sunny when we were out, so we knew those fish were going to be pulling into shade, so we were looking for the shaded side of the, the lake. Um, but once we got to those deeper areas, it was only you know 10 yards, 15 yards at the most of flooded area, so we could cast through all the way to the bank still. Mm-hmm. And I think that made a big difference. It, it did, for you especially. Yes. Yeah, you, it, you'd kind of found something that was working for you and, and started using it. Um, you know, in the beginning, we, we didn't know whether to go all the way back or to stay out on the old bank line. So before the flood, where that bank line would have been, we'd been fishing a couple weeks before that, you know, the normal spot. Um, but we tried both. Yeah. We, we tried it to, to see what was best. Um, I believe we started catch, catching um, smallmouth on the old bank line. Yep. How deep do you think, how deep were we out from? So it, when he's talking about the old bank line, like he said, it's it's where right before the flood, where the water's edge would have been. And so if you, all you have to do is know what the lake level was before the flood and then now what the lake level is. Um, so for us, it was 12 feet deep. So if we found on our depth finder 12 to 13 foot of water, we know that a week ago, that is where the water's edge was. And so if you kind of just get to that depth and you can parallel cast down through there, uh, we were catching some smallmouth bass out there. That's where we were catching some of those bigger keeper smallmouth and it was outside the cover, not very far outside the cover, but all the trees and bushes that you could see, the smallmouth weren't up in it. They were out a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we were, you know, just dragging a jig along or dragging a Ned rigger along, something like that. And not much of a bite, really just kind of see your, see your line your go line slack and, or watch right. your line move and, right. and check and see if something's there. Be ready to lift and then yeah. jerk if you need to. Yeah, yeah. We, we did catch a few nice ones that way, but... When we found that steeper bank, I mentioned when the flood comes, I love it because, or you said the way I like to fish. Um, maybe I was supposed to be born burnt, born in Florida where you can flip and pitch <laughs> and, and walk a frog all day. Yeah. I've never bass fished in Florida. It is on my bucket list to go do that. But uh, I love uh, throwing a fl- frog in cover or flipping and pitching. So when there's all this cover, I love it. It's so fun for me. I don't think these fish see a whole lot of frogs. I know some guys fish frogs around here, but not like down in Florida where everybody's throwing them. Um, or even up north, I know like Wisconsin and stuff, a lot of those pad areas, they're they're going to throw a lot of frogs. But 
Not around here. We um, just don't so, want to use that bait. I mean, through the year, right? And so when the when the flooding does happen, I do see that, that you get excited and you're ready to go because you do want to go pitch yeah. that frog in and and work it. But um, even flipping, I mean, there's not when our lake is at normal level or even a little low. There's not a ton of cover in the water, so there's not a lot of targets to flip at. So, uh, target rich environment is fun. Just that anticipation of I put it in the right spot, I might get a bite. But finally threw that frog up into some shade. Um, I don't even know if you knew I'd picked my frog up, but uh, you made the switch. Frog yet. fish, frog no, fish. Yeah. So I mean, you threw it in and uh, started working it, and that's all I heard was frog fish. <laughs> Which at first I didn't. I was like, "What's he talking about, yeah. frog fish?" Um, and then in that yeah millisecond, as I turned, I mean, you're you're pulling one through the through the bush out, and it was a nice one. Yeah, yeah. Had it you know on sixty five pound braid, so anticipating that bite being in some thick cover and was was pulling it out is yeah probably about a three pound largemouth but that is just my favorite bite being able to see the water was pretty clear still so being able to see that fish the whole way come out of the bush trying to have the discipline not to pull my bait away and let him come up and just see that big wide mouth and hail that frog uh and then yeah crack him on some feels good doesn't it is i don't know if there's a bite i like more than that feels pretty darn good i i will say i was jealous because i did not get to to catch one on a top water bite so yeah. i made the switch tried i tried some different frogs um you you bought me a new lure uh-huh and it was a frog because you knew it was coming so you got me a frog but this frog was a little different than yours this little top water frog um its feet have basically Paddles. pockets they're pocketed feet to to, tr- to catch that water which causes them to spin um like some of you might know with buzz bait so mm-hmm. I was I jumped to that started using that and I just felt like it was just kind of too loud it was just too noisy yeah. um, but nothing really came to it uh, I know I, I saw some kind of turn and look at it but never caused a reaction well to be honest the conditions did not set up for your typical top water day I mean we're talking over 90 degrees bright sun hardly any wind no clouds mm-hmm. not what you would normally think you're going to go get a top water out I typically think the water was around 70 degrees is that what you said the water was right at 70 right, yeah. yeah typically top water guys you're thinking um cloudy that low barometric pressure where you're where you're seeing bubbles um and not not super hot um otherwise those fish aren't really looking up uh, but in my stubborn way and my love for the frog with all the cover i thought i might be able to catch one up in the shade at least and I, I did but a lot of times what will happen they'll start following it and not biting it and that is what happened after i caught that one we went down that whole bank and several nice bass were coming up and looking and following and when would they stop and turn around i mean it was right at the the sunlight as soon as that shade and sun met they stopped and they were they were back Right. So I and I don't know the science behind it. I don't know if it's the heat or if it truly hurts their eyes because they have those predator eyes that are kind of looking up, wanting to feed. Uh, but they they don't like to be up towards the top when it's that hot, hot, intense sun. And we were definitely seeing that. But it was encouraging because they were showing themselves. We knew there was fish up there. So midday bite got tough. We knew there was fish up in that stuff. So you kind of led the way in the charge on changing baits. What were you doing back there in the back of the boat? You know, I was trying to, to throw a little bit something different uh, than you, so I switched to more finesse. You know, mm-hmm. um, shaky head threw it for a little bit, the Ned rig threw it for a little bit, um, just stayed on that. That uh, actually, I even tried to follow up behind you with a frog with a uh, wacky rig cinco. Yeah, and actually had some fish on. I was only I only had eight pound, 
um, fluorocarbon on, so I wasn't ripping it out like I probably needed to. It'd have been nice to have 15 yeah. pounds if I could have just really pulled through, but um, lost some fish um, after after I had them on. Yeah, it's the the wacky is kind of a catch 22 because with that cover, it's nice because you can put it wherever you want it. It's so easy to skip on the spinning rod. You can get it in some tight places, but if you're fishing light line on on that finesse setup you're not really yanking them out of uh smilax bushes and thorns <laughs> and all that stuff um, so you will you will miss some bites that way but from a biology side do you think there's any benefit to when lakes and rivers when they flood do you think there's any benefit to these fish to these river systems when that happens well it depends on the time of the year you know yeah. if it is in the spring let's just talk let's let's say it would be in the spring yeah um you know you'd be looking at that shad spawn and as shad are spawning uh that there's uh, the flood provides so much cover for those animals, especially for your mm -hmm. during your shad spawn. So, right. um, so that's a one benefit, so that we have more bait fish throughout the year. Um, on on the shad spawn, so how shad spawn? Why he's saying that is they're going to come lay their eggs on something, a physical thing. So whether it be a dock float, um, even boats or motors that if a boat is stationary in the water, they're going to come up in the cool early of the morning. But when all this flooded cover is up there, there is so much area so much surface space for them to come lay their eggs on uh, that's why he's saying it's a benefit for those shad um on the flip side you know it could depending on the time of year let's say spring again when uh in this area we live in the spring a lot of times you will get flooding mm -hmm. um and with that being said if they're in the middle of a spawn it could have an impact on on those spawning fish and the fry that, yep. if they make it or not yeah i think if if a flood hits too early i think it could Actually, I know that it can damage a spawn, meaning that if these fish are up and they've just laid eggs and now they get covered with all this water, those eggs have to have a certain amount of light and heat to actually be viable. So if it's getting covered up with 10 feet of muddy water, the, where those eggs are are no longer viable. But if it hits at the right time and doesn't mess up the clarity too much and the fry head just pops, so little tiny babies... Now they have so much cover to go get in and hide mm -hmm. and stay protected. So your your margins, your percentage of fry that survive are probably going to be higher in these years when that flood hits after they've hatched. So then your next year you could have even more fish. And if you have a couple years like that in a row, you can really boost um, a, a lake's population of, of bass or really any species that's going to spawn up shallow like that. Another thing that comes to mind is algae. Rivers and lakes can get blown out with algae blooms and growth, especially if they're clear and they haven't been flooded in a while. If sunlight is able to get through that water, you're going to have algae. And it it can really ruin fishing. It takes certain tactics away. You can't drag the bottom, can't fish crankbaits. Every cast you're pulling up big wads of algae. But if you get dirty water, come in from a flood where sunlight can't penetrate or just a mass amount of current, mm -hmm pushing this stuff up now you're cleaning up your river and your lake i can remember when i was younger a river that i loved to float on all the time for about three years in a row it didn't have any flood and i went to fish it and it was a waste of time i mean from the bottom of that river to the top was solid algae you could pretty much paddle down the middle of it and that does, was about it does that impact fish you know i i don't really know um i would think it would almost be like more cover for them so it may be good it maybe is just impacting and that's fishing. what i was gonna yeah that's what i was gonna gonna add to is it's really probably just a, a more of a nuisance than definitely take some fishing pressure off of them yeah 
right? It's just more of a nuisance for the fishermen because you are cleaning off uh, gobs. I call it gob because I can't think of. It's a, a gloopy gob. It's just a gloopy gob that's covered your bait. Of, yeah, a green monster that you got to yep. pull off there every time. So, But a, a flood will help clean that up, clean that up clean that out of your lake and clean that out of your river for sure so from the ecosystem biological side i there are some benefits or disadvantages depending on the time that that flooding hits so um, something just kind of cool to think about if mm-hmm. wherever you are in your system when it does flood because it's pretty inevitable uh, wherever you are at some point you're probably going to deal deal with some flooding right absolutely so we kind of talked about our day it was hot sunny we did get a late start though so you're talking about that shad spawn um, we probably could have hit it had we been out there earlier. Why do we get a late start though? We got a late start because kids, man, family, family, which we is put, okay. We put our family first. Yeah. We did. We do. And you know, we saw a great day of fishing, but we had responsibility we had to take care of. So yeah, get, get the kids dressed to school, dentist appointments, all that stuff. Uh, and then we go, then we go fishing. Then so. we go do it. That's well, we right. knew there was a shad spawn going on and we probably could have really caught some fish of, the, of a morning. Um, I even tried that when we got down there later in the day, and there was just nothing, no moving bait action at all. Yeah, we tried a lot. I mean, I tried, I, I tried the the swim, uh, swim bait, a swim bait. Yes, yeah. uh, through a swim bait, especially because there were uh, when we first got out there, out kind of in the middle of what I'll call a pocket, uh, out there in that that deeper water, you could see bait fish jumping, popping. So I tried to throw my my swim bait in there a few times, no luck. Mm-hmm. And then we went to, uh, I moved into, uh, you had a swim jig on. Yeah, I threw a white swim jig around a little bit. Uh, you were throwing that chatterbait, um, really white, just trying to key on, key in on um, if there was any of that shad bite going on. I didn't even have a follow, so I never even had a, a little one follow it out, skip some docks with it, never had anything even come out, follow it, nothing. So pretty quick could tell. Uh, I think I even put the cover on, on those rods and put them away. Yeah, and, and I think we actually we did, yes, yeah. did put them away. And then uh, it's one of the docks we found – the end of the dock was at the normal, or I'll say normal bank, but, you know, the old bank line. Yeah. Started catching fish there, which helped us to kind of key in to, to know, yeah, it's time to put these these baits away because they're not mm-hmm. working, um, and to, to try some new, which that's when I got into the finesse side, and, and uh, you started kind of making your switch into your, your yeah. frog. So we, we ended up catching fish on uh, several different baits. We caught them on a jig, caught them on a Ned rig, caught them on... Uh, a Nico rig, which is uh, basically a wacky rigged worm, and you put a nail weight in the end so it kind of sinks and, and stands up. And then I think just a, a, a traditional wacky rig. And then, of course, the all-hailed hollow body frog. <laughs> hollow body frog, yeah. My, it, my it favorite, produced. though, was probably the fish I didn't catch. When I threw way, you could see it was actually a flatter area, and I had a line between trees way up to the bank. And as I was doing it, you could just see a big... I'm going to say three or four pound at least, maybe bigger bass, just from, what, 20 yards away? Yeah, at least. I called it sharking because it was like her fin was out of the water, and she was going as fast as she could go towards my frog that was walking back to me. My heart rate jumped up, and it was like, she is going to either blow this thing 20 feet in the sky, or I'm going to catch a big fish. So we were we were finishing up. It was the hottest part of the day. Yes. And we were finishing up, and... um I don't even know why we went through. I think I was like, let's go. Yeah, there was a dock. Yeah. And so I was let's like, stop let's stop at the dock. Let's stop at the dock. Like I was telling you earlier, we were catching fish at the end of the docks on the uh, on the original bank line. And I was like, let's go try this. 
and I don't know what, there was two trees, again, flooded, so you just have these two trees in the water, and you made this really long cast in between the two, mm-hmm. and I don't even know what made me stop and just kind of look, but it was like you and I at the same time looked, and it was, yeah, like a shark, I mean, just exploded, beelining for your frog, I froze, and you kept working and working and working it, Yeah, but... But what happened, bro? As soon as that fish got to my frog, it was like, it was part of our imagination. She just disappeared like she yeah, was Yeah, well, there. I, I never, it was like it disappeared. It just, poof, gone. And I thought, because I'm waiting for the, the, the explosion, yeah. you know, <laughs> waiting to, to see that frog, big mouth, frog go down, nothing. Yeah, and I don't know if she was on a bed up there and she was just racing around trying to push, push bluegill and uh, frogs or whatever out of there, but... She came at it aggressive, and usually when they do that, uh, they eat, and she didn't. She didn't. So I was disappointed. And we tried several more times, but that was really her only her only sign of hope. So that was probably – it wasn't a catch, but it was just so exciting. That's what I love about the outdoors is it's not always that stereotypical, quote-unquote, success of I'm out to catch a fish or I'm out to shoot whatever, uh, but just the experiences along the way that, that happen. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the stories and the things that that stick with you and that you remember. Because I think I even turned to you and said, "I wish you could feel my heart right now." Yeah, you did. My heart was beating out of my <laughs> chest more than when I caught one. It was just—it was a cool experience. I'll—I'll I'll, honestly probably always remember that. Seems small and trivial, but that's why we go out to to experience nature, experience yeah. creation. Uh, I had a blast. It was an awesome day, and I'm I'm glad you and I got to go do it, Brian. It was. Um, you know, if somebody wants to go do this, wherever you live, if, if you're a, a fisherman or a fisherwoman and you want to go out, whether you're fishing for trout or bass or whatever, what are some what are some tips, some things to consider when you're targeting game fish in flooded conditions? Check the levels before you go. Yep. So do your research before you go out. There's, it's not fun to, to arrive at the lake and be like, well, I've got to turn around and go home. Mm-hmm. One being where can you your destination. Yeah, where can I even put in? Um, if or it's walk high, to or hike to if you're fishing from the bank. There may not be areas that you can even access. That's right. And look for that area. Is there even enough parking? You know, I know that in the past, you and I have went to places and it was full. There yeah. was only like 10 spots and there was t- 10 boats took it up or 10 trailers took it up. And We went to that spot last year and we were asking how to get in. And the guy said, well, you can back in down this road and get down there, but there's no place to park when you're done. And if you park on the side of the road... Well, you're going to get your tires slashed. <laughs> yeah. I thought, well, well, then I ain't going. Yeah, never <laughs> I mean, mind. Yeah, you can do all that, but uh, it was that was ridiculous. So yeah. we ended up finding a new spot. Um, but we wasted. I say wasted because we didn't do our research before, like I'm trying to tip, give the tip to somebody to do. Um, we drove around quite a bit to, to find that spot. So do your research. Look at your water levels. Um, and then also determine what's muddy, what's not. So you do want to find... Find some cleaner water. Cleaner water. Cleanest as possible. Yeah. Um, if for some reason um, you get down there and it's blown out. So what I mean by that is is you have logs and, and debris everywhere. You may have to then go you know, to your next put-in place down down below because that kind of gives you an idea when you see all of the floating debris everywhere. It kind of gives you an idea where that yeah. where that floods, uh, that backwater's at. Yeah. And if, if you can't get out of the discolored or the muddier water, um, and this is going to be true either, even if you're, if you're fishing for trout or salmon or anything like that, you're going to have to change the baits. So if typically you're using natural colors or maybe something that doesn't have a rattle or a click to it, 
you're going to have to adapt and change. Go to some brighter colors, um, oranges, chartreuses, um, even black. Black can stick out really well mm -hmm. um, because it has so much contrast. Um, and then also things that are loud, things that have rattles and, and buzz baits that are squeaking and cracking and uh, be rattle loud, trap, and, proud, loud and proud with your presentation. Yeah, uh, rattle trap. I've, I've caught some really good smallmouth in that, you know, dirtier water yeah. um, on rattle traps before. Um, really ripping them through and, and making it loud and proud. But again, if that's not something you're used to, don't shy away from it. Go out and learn something new. See, see it as an opportunity uh, because if that's the area you live, you're not always going to get to go out and try those things, and it's not going to be there forever. The flood's going to reside. It's going to go away, and you're going to have to go back to the same old, same old that you're used to, which is great because you're used to it. You're good at it, but learn and experience and expand while you have the opportunity to do so. Um, but outside of fishing, outside of getting out and enjoying it, we want you to catch fish. We want you to go try it if you haven't. We want you to get better at it if you have tried it in the past. But please be safe. Um, there are risks that are enhanced or maybe new risks that come when flooding happens. Um, one I can think of in particular that has uh, affected me personally, my boat still has a big crack in it. Uh, when that water comes up, one, the rivers are going to push all kinds of debris, whether it be leaf litter, sticks, logs, everything down the river. But even if you're out on the lake, that water's going to come up and things that are setting on the bank, even giant, huge trees that you think no way they can move, that water comes up to that tree, it's going to float it out, depending on the current and the wind direction, it's going to float it out to the middle of the lake. Right. And so last year... And that's so dangerous. Yeah, I mean, that's... it's so dangerous. Last year, I, I was running down the lake, and there was a huge tree. Uh, we're, we're talking two, three foot in diameter at least, uh, the trunk of this tree. It was submerged just enough. It was actually under the water, but floating. And I hit it full on with my boat and cracked my transom, uh, cracked my, uh, my keel. Um, it's all cracked. It's an aluminum boat, so I can get it welded back together, but... It is an inconvenience. We were fine. Um, yeah, I mean, you took one for the team because I was I was right behind, back from yeah. it. Yeah, and you had uh, yeah you'd shut it down, and I just remember you standing up in the boat like waving the arms. Yeah. Like, I was scared. I was mm -hmm. scared for me what just happened. Um, didn't know if we were going down, if we were going to sink. But then I was scared for you. Like, please don't hit this because we were fortunate enough to stay in. Um, of course, we had life jacket kill switch on and all that, so uh, you know, kind of threw me up over the console. Threw my coffee all over me. That was really the worst that happened. But, you know, motor motor uh, kill switch was pulled. Motor was – but everybody that was in the boat stayed in the boat, which is the most important thing. And right. We were taking on water, but it wasn't so much that I couldn't get back up on plane and get back to the, to the boat ramp and get off the water. So be safe out there. Go slower. Reduce your speed. Keep your eyes peeled. Take a spotter with you. Don't run as far. Yeah. <clears throat> if you normally would put in some place – or it's not the normal place you would put in because that's the only place you had access, fish around there. Don't run 15, 20 miles if you're in a boat. Uh, stay safe. Mm -hmm. Stay safe. Take those things into consideration. Wear your life jackets. Don't be too prideful that you don't go home at the end of the day. Right. That's good. Um, on the other side of uh, non-motorized, yeah. right? So there are people that will, will go out and try to fish that again. The river systems. The river systems that are flooded. Um to throw the frog because it works great mm -hmm. and so um wearing your life jacket number one but then also looking at um what would be down river from me what's going to be down river 
that could cause me to um, tip flip, get stuck. Yeah, and that's that pre-work you're talking about too. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing the path you're taking, uh, even looking at Google Earth, you can look at satellite images and see what obstacles there may be um, or seize new fishing opportunities where water wasn't and may, it may be now. Um, but do your, do your research on that. Uh, water is so powerful and its power can sneak up on you quick and it takes lives around the world every year. So while it is awesome to go out and enjoy, you have to take it serious. <clears throat> and if it is too dangerous, then it's better to just to just stay away but i know i've had an scary scary experience on a flooded river so much so that i don't go out on flooded rivers now have have you had anything that's just really stuck in your mind well kind of clarify what do you mean you don't go out on flooded rivers anymore so flooded lakes are going to be different than flooded river Mm -hmm. flooded river i know you and i have been on some that are definitely higher um, yeah i'm not talking about high flow right i'm talking about um out of its bank out of its bank and flowing, rolling mud. Right. Yeah. There's no fishing going on then. No, right. not much. And so that's that's why we say do your research. If you're wanting to, to go up and fish in the river, then do your research, see what those river levels are. You can call guiding services and ask if they're even um, letting anybody rent canoes, kayaks, because if they're shut down, then then why go? You're, yeah. It's not safe to go. Um, but what you're really watching out for in those um, waterways are what's called strainers. And it's literally like a strainer that you'd find in your kitchen that you'd pour your your noodles into to drain the water off. It's exactly what it's doing in, in the waterway. And so as the water's pushing through the big root wad of that tree you talked about, mm-hmm. um, it could be a tree itself, um, the, the actual uh, arms and branches that are coming off of the tree. Um, if you or your vessel gets trapped in that and that water's continually pressing on as it does, it can flip you, tip you. Tip you, then flip you, and then you can get trapped in that strainer. Um, and hopefully, at that point, you've seen it before you would come up on that so you could go around or get out um, to save your life because it that has taken the life of many people. Yeah, um, and I, I truly did have an experience that it, it really scared me and, and changed the way I view it. Uh, when I was in college, you know, I've been on the water my whole life, kind of prided myself I can go through, you know, I can paddle through any water situation. I've seen them all, been through them all. Uh, a friend and I were out um, with, you know, my cousins and some uncles. Uh, even my dad and his friend were out. We were on a paddling and fishing trip, uh, but the river was up. It was rolling. It was muddy. It was it was out of its banks. It was too high to be on, to be, to be frank. It was too high to be on, but we were out. And uh, we were about halfway through, through our trip, and... Uh, there was a, a big tree that came uh, out perpendicular to the bank, and then there was a tree that it was crossing that was parallel to the bank. And I just got a little too close to that parallel tree, and the back end of my canoe, which is where I was, I was I was driving, and it got we got sucked up under there, um, and it didn't flip us, didn't roll us over, uh, but it was crushing me. That tree was so big, and mm. the power of the water was so powerful. It was literally crushing me, and I'm laying back as we're getting further and further under this thing. I'm just laying down. I went from seated position to fully laid laid down, and as it got to my face, I was just like, all I could think about was not being crushed. Mm-hmm. And I look over, and I could see the edge of my canoe just a couple inches from the edge of that water. Um, and just instinctually, I told my my friend in the front, I said, "Jump!" and he jumped out. and And this is cold. This is the fall when this happened. Uh, it was in the 40s outside, so we we're in lots of clothes. You don't want to be wet in this. Right. Um, so I I hung onto this tree and I pushed and pushed this boat under so that I wouldn't get smashed. And as soon as the lip of that boat went under, the the 
river just grabbed it, ripped it out of there instantly. Um, lost a lot of thousands of dollars of gear. Um, but fortunately, both my friend and I, uh, we, we, we didn't lose our lives. We were, he was able to swim to the bank. I was able to climb the tree and get out. Um, and, uh, we, we were able to be rescued, but it, it impacted me greatly because, uh, I let my guard down for just a moment Mm -hmm. on a river that I shouldn't have been on. And it could have cost me or my friend, uh, our life. But fortunately, uh, we're here still to tell that story. I've replaced all that gear and then some, which is a huge blessing to, to be able to do. Um, uh, so I hope somebody learns from that. Um, I don't know if you've had any experiences like that or if uh, something from your childhood sticks with you that makes you more safe and cautious today, but that was one for me. Yeah. Um, back in the day when I was guiding, um, well, paddling trips, you know, for kids, it was for youth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've had those where it wasn't um, unsafe. The water levels weren't unsafe, but they were higher, um, which uh, creates more strainers, but these strainers weren't life-threatening but if you aren't, if you're not used to paddling and knowing how to paddle, they will sometimes that that current will send you right into those. Well, and, honestly, water is life threatening at any moment in time. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying this wasn't rolling, turbid, uh, muddy. Yeah. You know, big trees. It was, it was just it was coming down from the flood, and and it was a stage it was okay to go out. Um, but some inexperienced kids that I was helping, um, yeah, I got into that tree and and flipped, and you know. It, the accidents could happen at any time, um, but just knowing to get out of that, starting to paddle away from it, as soon as you see a strain or something in that water, you know, get away, paddle hard, even have to start paddling back upstream, left and right, and getting out. Um, but the scariest one for me was uh, was when I was a, a younger kid, uh, kiddo. We would do family paddling trips and went out with my family. Um, again, the, the river had had receded down from that flooding. It was at a stage it was okay, but Again, as that water level drops, now you have new stuff in the water, yeah, new, new trees, debris. new debris, mm-hmm. um, new strainers. And so um, we had no clue what was up ahead. Um, I just remember, though, that my my grandpa was in the back, grandma's in the front, and my sister was actually sitting in the middle on the bottom. How old the, do you think she canoe. was at that time? That's what I was trying to think is, is all these memories and yeah. the stories coming about. I, was, I cannot remember the age of even myself. I was in a, a separate canoe with my uncle. And uh, I just remember that we were we were in the back, and, and I could see all this take place, you know. And and there's nothing you can do. Um, we were far enough away. There's just nothing you do. Just watch it. But um, yeah, that that canoe got pulled right in. Um, you could see where that swift current was coming and pulled in right into that strainer. As they hit it, you know, the boat begins to tip, and then it starts taking in water, and then they go down. Well, I see my grandma get spit out. My sister gets spit out again. We're all wearing life jackets. Um, they get spit out, but Grandpa didn't. Mm. And, um, what's, was probably only 10 seconds, you know, felt a whole lot longer than that. Yeah. But, um, when he come up to, um, he finally came up, right? He did. He yes. Came, yeah, yes, yeah. he did. As, as he came up, um, to the top, um, you just see that look on his face. Um, cause he did, he, he got entangled. He said it, he had to use all his strength to just, to get himself out of that, which if it had been any stronger current, he may not have. So, um, there's always a risk when going out. And doing yeah. these things, but especially in high water, you have to, to be very cautious. So if you're going around bends or areas that you cannot see, the tip is to bank, go to the bank, hop out, walk around, mm-hmm. look, look down river from those bends to make for sure there isn't anything that you're going to get entrapped in. Absolutely. And we don't tell you those stories to scare you away or to let 
flooding ruin your outdoor fun, but we do want you to proceed with caution because there is a little more homework that needs to be done and there are some special things you need to consider. But don't let flooding wreck your fishing. Don't let it wreck your outdoor fun. Uh, go out and experience it. I know several people that when it floods, my father included, is like, well, I'm done. I'm not fishing now. I'm not going out for that. We can see it when we go to lake. There's not as many people out, but the fishing is good. It Don't is. let it scare you away. Go out, learn something new, expand your horizons because uh, you really want to be a total outdoorsman if you love if you love outdoors and creation. You know, when the water levels come up, there's one other animal that you get to see a lot more of that um, are usually a little, little more... Uh, uh, secretive which are our snakes yeah um, we saw a lot we, we did see a lot of snakes and and you will you know you're they're going to be down those areas let's just say piles of of debris on the bank as that water comes up and and starts taking it over they're going to dry land they're heading up they're trying to get out yeah and the daggum turtles in the turtles they were everywhere they loved all that debris in the water and something that happened to me that i've never had happen before i was working my my hollow body frog through that cover and this red eared slider turtle is trying to eat my frog as I'm working it, which obviously he's slower than molasses, so I can work it a lot faster than him. But it was kind of cool to see, like, he was trying to get that frog. Mm -hmm. um, and then it kind of clicked, like, yeah, I guess they do eat meat. They want that protein. Uh, yeah. Those juvenile red ear sliders are, are carnivores before they transition to omnivores later in their life. But I put that video up. Uh, I put that video up on TikTok and Instagram, so if you want to, see that that turtle following that frog along it's kind of it cool out. to see check that out but uh most of all guys i, I want to thank you for listening if you have fished a flood before and struggled i hope you got some tips that may help you uh, change those baits find that clear water those kinds of things uh help you go out and have a successful flood fishing but stay safe while you're doing it if you haven't tried it go out give it a try add that to your skill set I hope our skills and experiences are a blessing to you. I hope you expand on your skills and experiences, and I hope that you serve and bless somebody else with them. That's it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.